Мы шли вдвоем, а фонарики горели. И привидений к нам момент прийти, и сердца наши замляли. Hello and welcome to the SRB podcast, where in each episode we discuss Eurasian politics, culture, and history. As always, I'm your host, Sean Guillory. The SRB podcast is sponsored by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Pittsburgh and members of the SRB Table of Ranks, who give monthly contributions from anywhere between $5 to $25. If you'd like to support the podcast, go to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Sean's Russia blog, or to the podcast website, srbpodcast.org, and hit that Patreon button and join the table of ranks. On April 30th, 1945, Adolf Hitler committed suicide in his bunker as the Red Army closed in on Berlin. Within four days, the Soviets had recovered Hitler's body, along with artifacts like pieces of the couch on which he allegedly shot himself. Though the Soviet government conducted two post-war investigations into Hitler's remains, the results, along with a piece of Hitler's skull, teeth, and other material, were locked away in Russian state archives. After a few years of pestering and pleading with Russian archivists, my guest, Lana Parshina, and her co-author, Jean-Christophe Broussard, got access to Hitler's remains. How were they able to get access? And were these trophies of Soviet victory the real deal? Lana Parshina is a journalist and award-winning documentary filmmaker. She's the director of Svetlana About Svetlana, a documentary about Joseph Stalin's daughter, and The Singer Who Fell. She's the author with Jean-Christophe Brissard of The Death of Hitler, The Final Word, published by De Capo Press. Here is Lana Parshina. Well, let, let's get to this book that you've written um, with your co-author, um, Jean-Christophe Brissard. Um, now, the book is called The Death of Hitler, The Final Word. And it really is kind of a, it's an interesting detective story where you and, 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 and Jean-Christophe are, are tracking down and trying to verify Hitler's remains, which are stored in the Rus- the archive of the, the state archive of the Russian Federation, or for you historians out there, Garf. Um, what inspired you to take on this, uh, this journey? Uh, Jean-Christophe approached me about this uh, project uh, in 2015. Uh, we were uh, attending a, a book festival where we were speakers on uh, his second book, uh, Children of the Dictators, and I wrote the first chapter on Joseph Stalin's daughter. Um, and uh, he said, you know, have you heard anything about uh, uh, the skull of Hitler uh, stored in the archive? Um, I had some French historian uh, who saw some things in 2004 in the archives from the bunker. Um, I think we can tell a good story about it. So I was surprised to hear about it because uh, in history books, uh, what I've learned from history books, it was a fact that Hitler uh, committed suicide in uh, 1945. Hitler committed suicide on April 30th. And uh, that was a fact. Um, But then I started looking uh, further and I couldn't find any photos of Hitler's body 
or any evidence to confirm this fact. So all these uh, stories about Hitler escaping to Argentina started making sense. I was quite surprised uh, and um, I thought, wow, uh, why is it uh, so? Because if we uh, recall this time, uh, there was Nuremberg process and uh, Nazi uh, criminals were prosecuted uh, 20, 30 years uh, from the end of the World War too. I started looking and uh, obviously when you are a journalist and not a historian and um, you don't know where to look for, uh, you try to find uh, help from somebody who knows. So. It happened that a friend of mine um, uh, graduated from the National you know, Historic Institute and uh, uh, he studied for five years just to learn how to work in the archives. But he ended up doing something else. But his mom was, um, uh, um, was retired and uh, he apparently worked in this military archive, RGVA. Uh, so uh, she told me that uh, they had some things uh, from the bunker. Uh, and uh, uh, that's how we found uh, the journal of visitations, uh, Hitler's uh, visitation log. Uh, that's how we found his aquarelle. And uh, that's how we found some photos. And that's how we found personal uh, files of uh, his close circle. Heinz Linge, uh, Bauer, his pilots, Gunsche. Um, so uh, it was a start, but then where is the skull, right? <laughs> Still no skull. <laughs> so apparently, RGVA, uh, Russian government archive uh, of military, uh, which is located um, if somebody wants to visit it uh, and uh, by the way uh, foreigners can visit it unlike the others especially especially if you would like to know something about uh, soviet army or uh, prisoners of war uh, it's the place to go for sure and uh, one can even submit the request by email now they're now they are more open in this case so uh, apparently, RGVA is part of the National Archive System, and it, it is uh, connected to the GARF, Government Archive of Russian Federation. And um, that's how uh, we found the skull, because uh, an interesting story that was left behind is the fact that in 1962, this skull, um, the, the, these pieces of the couch and... Uh, uh, six files of the myth, uh, they were transferred by a special mail to the Garth from Argovia, and uh, they, they were there. Yeah, I've had, a, I've had a couple of friends who worked in this um, kind of trophy archive that, uh, that is in Garth, who they've written books on, on, um, on the, the occupation in the Eastern Front. Uh, Nazi occupation, the Eastern Front, and and other stuff. So it's a it's 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 something that, of course, researchers have looked at, but not so much uh, in terms of Hitler's uh, relics. Um, I wanted to ask you. You know, I I've heard this. There's been these stories for for decades about what happened to Hitler, 
uh, you know, you mentioned the him fleeing to Argentina. Uh, there's all sorts of, you know, weird conspiracy theories about it. You know, I actually remember hearing at some point that the Soviet Union did have his his remains uh, in some form or fashion. Why is why is Hitler's like the authenticity of, you know, his skull and other remains that the Soviets collected and now is stored in, in, in Garf? Why is this such a controversial issue? I will tell you why, because it all started in 1945 uh, in uh, Potsdam uh, in the conference, because Stalin already knew that the world uh, was about to be redivided uh, by the winners. And uh, also, uh, we we should not forget that um, there were certain intrigues between uh, there was a certain intrigue between uh, his uh, close man Beria and um, there was this young, uh, ambitious, fast-moving uh, protege uh, who was about to he who was a stress threat, uh, Abakumov, who was the head of Smersh. And um, uh, Hitler's re- remains were found in uh, 1945 on May 5th. Um, the autopsy was performed uh, by five uh, medical examiners from different fronts, like the Belarusian fronts, the first Ukrainian front. Uh, all these medics, uh, they could, uh, all these doctors, um, they could check uh, what, what happened to the body. But the body was obviously uh, disfigured and uh, burned by fire. And then uh, Yelena Rzhevskaya, the famous interpreter, went through through Berlin uh, to find a a person who could identify Hitler's teeth. So they removed the teeth and uh, showed them to uh, Blaschke's assistant. Because Blaschke ended up, uh, his doctor Blaschke, uh, I think he ended up uh, uh, on on the American territory. So, and that's how they confirmed that the teeth belonged to Hitler, and the teeth uh, were kept um, as evidence of his death. The body ended up being uh, buried and reburied until it was burned. <laughs> um, now, Hitler's skull. Uh, that's a very interesting story how this evidence uh, was found because uh, there was a big uh, scandal or shall we say a revelation by uh, a Connecticut archaeologist Nick Bilantoni in uh, in a film and a documentary about Hitler uh, in 2010 and uh, uh, he claims that uh, Hitler's skull does not belong to Hitler. Now, um, you know, every uh, everyone with a critical mind, especially journalists, would ask for confirmation or ask uh, the source of information, right? When, uh, when you find Hitler's teeth, how do you know it's Hitler's teeth, right? Where, where was it found? What was the journey of these teeth? up to the point when you finally have a chance to see them. The same thing with the skull. And the skull 
which was transferred to GAR from RGVA in 1962, uh, we uh, needed to know how the skull ended up uh, in the GAR and where, did, where uh, was it found. So uh, we identified uh, that uh, the skull, supposedly skull, the skull of Hitler, was found on May 30th in 1946 uh, during an investigation done by uh, General Kabulov uh, and Mirkulov. Uh, these were the people of Beria um, uh, to see uh, whether Hitler could escape Berlin because, as I said, there was a competition between intelligence agencies and between these people to get close to the men in power and someday to get this power. So, uh, the skull was found in the same uh, funnel um, where um, one year before that, the bodies of Hitler and Eva Braun were dug up. And um, if you look at the autopsy uh, of Hitler's body, uh, you see that uh, the back part of his skull was missing, a small piece. So that piece uh, kind of actually uh, matches, but we don't know for 100%, right? We don't know for sure. So uh, one of the points of our investigation was, the goal we, we, we wanted to achieve was to first prove that Hitler died uh, in, in the bunker or, you know, oppose it and start looking for him. Number two is uh, to uh, find out how he died, whether he took cyanide or cyanide or um, he shot himself, uh, what happened. Uh, number three is uh, we needed to find out whether the skull that was found during an investigation conducted in 1946 on May 30th uh, was actually uh, the missing piece of uh, Hitler's skull, and and why why is this is something important to to investigate? Like, what does it matter? Especially now, you know, some eighty years later, or however seventy years later, what does it matter whether this is that this skull and these remains that are you know deep inside of uh, a Russian state archive, which as you talk about at length, and I, I want you to talk about this in a bit, you know, it's not easy. You, it was very difficult to get access to this. It's not like these remains are out in public. Why is it important to authenticate the the, the authenticity of these remains? Um, do you um, do you have any relatives um, who um, fought in the Second World War? Uh, do you have any friend or uh, any relative uh, who uh, suffered from Holocaust? Yes. Well, that's the answer. Because <laughs> don't you think, don't you think that uh, it would be wrong if Hitler was able to escape and live happily ever after, mm -hmm. after all he's done to right. the world? Well, I mean, it's called, it's like Marvel Comics. <laughs> Good always wins over evil. Right. So it happens in life too. And that's what we wanted to prove. 
But and it, uh, give a tribute to this, uh, you know, to the lives of people uh, who were lost. Right. Not by choice, but because they had to, and they so, had to do something. So, so was the the quest was to say like, you know, he did die. This is the evidence of his death. It it wasn't so much also that this is also, I mean, at least the Soviet government saw it like this, and I would imagine the Russian government continues. This is a trophy, right? This is like it is a trophy. Yeah, and so so there's a there's another level of it too, right? It's not just it's not just to say, you know, yeah, Hitler died, which frankly I, I don't know if it that's that controversial, like a big question. But it's also the also the question that well, this trophy that's so valued in terms of the memory of World War II in the Soviet Union, but also in present-day Russia, like this is also the real thing. Is is part of the investigation also about that to 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 make sure that the claims of the Russian government are actually true? Uh, yes, but also I said to Jean Christophe after a year of. Uh, Attempts to access FSB archive, I said to him, you know what, this is becoming a big joke. Uh, if we make it, let's let's write about our misfortunes because people should know what they have to go through next time they want to do the same. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I couldn't understand why, but everybody, even in the in the archives, everybody was saying, why are you doing this? Don't you, like, why do you care? He died anyway. And you know what? Some people, uh, for example, uh, in the Garf or in Argavea, I'm not going to name these people, uh, some of them uh, thought, you know what? Maybe he could escape. Who knows? Because they obviously didn't see the teeth. Uh, but uh, what what surprised me was the the, uh, the attitude towards people who try to learn the truth, and also um, I couldn't understand like why is it such a big deal? I understand that okay, well guys, you have it. Uh, well, uh, then show it, and uh, how about you uh, not only show uh, the teeth, but originally I thought it would have been a great idea to make peace with history one cold case at a time and possibly have a test uh, examination run by several representatives of several countries uh, france usa uh, russia and uh, and the uk the ones who were present when the capitulation paper was signed uh, because you see this question remained open uh, for many, many years. Uh, a few years ago, actually less than two, uh, some uh, new uh, papers were released by the CIA archive about uh, some agent uh, who saw uh, somebody that uh, who looked like Hitler in 1955 in Argentina. You see, I think we all deserve to know because all these countries and we all uh, in a way, are related to this uh, to this history, so we have the right to know. Yeah, it is. It, I mean, it 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 falls into so many um, issues uh, in terms of you know the the like you said, like to know 
that this is indeed he did indeed die is to say that it was worth it to all of those who suffered and perished in that effort to destroy uh, the Nazi Germany. Uh, it it also is a controversy because the question is it it becomes in especially in the context of the Cold War it also becomes part of the the larger mythos and battle over who owns like legitimacy like who owns truth in terms of the outcome of this conflict right um, I I can see it playing in all sorts of political issues geopolitical issues but also people's historical imagination and memory. Um, now, given that, you know, one of the some of the things I was struck by is, you know, your your effort to get access to these remains was was quite trying. It took you a couple of years, many tries, lots of cajoling. Uh, talk about the effort to uh, actually see these remains in the Russian State Archive. Well, um, you know, I traded Stalin for Hitler, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I will tell you how it happens. For example. After the accident with uh, Nick Bellantoni at the Garth, they were not willing to let us uh, examine the skull without uh, permission of the Investigation Bureau Committee. And uh, in fact, uh, we tried to contact Nick Bellantoni. Uh, my colleague uh, Jean-Christophe did it. And he kind of like wrote it off that he doesn't remember what happened. Uh, and uh, it, it's, it's been a long time. Um, so I asked uh, Jean-Christophe, so what, what shall we do? I mean, we don't have a chance to get uh, samples of the DNA uh, of this skull. Uh, maybe we could use their samples. Uh, I mean, or, you know, use their work. Because uh, apparently nothing was published in a, uh, in a journal uh, or in a you know, in some scientific way, you know, when uh, this work becomes scientifically legitimate. And unfortunately, uh, uh, the fact is there are no samples, apparently, and uh, they, they, they couldn't um, explain how they could possibly get the samples from, uh, from the skull and, you know, and then bring them back to, to America. So, uh, to me, it sounds like fake news. Uh, but this fake news, eh, oh, and a, a, a nice wish, a nice wish was, well, good luck on your research, but they will not give you the skull. <laughs> so, she, um, am I allowed to curse? Probably oh, I don't not, care. Right? No, you um, can curse. Well, <laughs> No, I, I'm not going to curse much, but I'm going to say um, yeah, Forrest Gump phrase. Uh, shit happens. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So shit happens. Uh, we needed to deal with it somehow. I, as you know from the book, we were not allowed to take a DNA test of the skull and compare it with the teeth. We had access only to the teeth. We could see... Uh, we could, uh, you know, we could uh, check can do stuff with the teeth, uh, but not to the skull, because uh, the Investigation Bureau, which is obviously a different organization than uh, FSB, uh, they uh, put a halt on it, because uh, they think there are more serious things to do in this world than um, uh, checking uh, the, the cause of death of uh, uh, Hitler. 
So uh, one thing that I wish I could uh, learn um, was uh, whether that hole in his skull uh, from the bullet, uh, you know, shows that either Linge shot him um, or uh, he managed somehow to shoot himself while breaking the, the ampoule with cyanide. So that's one of the things we could not determine. Yes, he did take cyanide. Yes, uh, he was a vegetarian. Yes, you know, he had this, this, and that. But th there was one thing, one little detail, because uh, as we all know, Hitler had big physical problems. And uh, he uh, already had Parkinson's signs, the signs of Parkinson's. So his right hand was shaking. I'm not sure he could take this noble death. And the uh, Germans obviously wanted everybody to think that the Führer died as a martyr. Well, he was no martyr, for sure. Uh, crazy man, <laughs> but no martyr. So, it, so you know, it, you went all this trouble to get to, to see this skull, right? To, to see these remains. Yes. And, oh, I uh, sorry, I forgot to tell you how I finally had a chance to, uh, to break through the system and have Philippe Charlet examine the skull. Not take a DNA test, but at least to examine the skull the way only uh, 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 somebody uh, like uh, Philippe Charlier, who is called uh, uh, the Indiana Jones of graveyards by the New York Times, could do. Um, anyway, Svetlana Aliluyeva, Joseph Stalin's daughter, uh, gave me a very interesting photo. It was a photo of uh, Karolina Thiel, uh, a German woman from Riga, uh, who was uh, uh, a housekeeper. Uh, uh, and uh, she was the one uh, who was a, a witness to, to her mother's suicide. And in 1938, this woman was taken by NKVD because uh, uh, she... Uh, mentioned to Svetlana accidentally or on purpose, she mentioned to Svetlana that her mother did not die of, um, of peritonitis or something. Uh, she, uh, she killed herself. So uh, she gave me this photo. And as you know, something that's uh, something like a photo of a woman, of a witness, especially from that time, is a very rare thing. So I, um, I left this photo, I had a digital copy, I left this photo, I gave this original photo uh, to the Garth. Ah, so you did a bit of a trade. Yes, <laughs> yes. as I said, Stalin for Hitler. <laughs> yes, Stalin for Hitler, that's a, that's a good story. But you know, what, what was fascinating to me in reading the book is that, and because you, you also have photographs, is that when they, when they brought this, you know, the skull out, for example, the piece of the skull, you know, it's not you. You imagine like something that's so such a rare historical artifact of great world historical significance. Um, you know, I imagine like the white gloves and all of this stuff, but they bring it out in an old uh, computer disc case. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> talk about talk about this scene of like of of when you first uh, got to see these relics. What, what was the, what did it, what was the situation in the room and, and what was your like emotional res What was your response to this since you've been working, you worked so hard to, to see these artifacts? 
uh, when Jean Christophe arrived to Moscow, I uh, already knew that uh, he came uh, not in the right time again, uh, because uh, just a, a week before that, uh, there was a new law in Russia. Uh, it was April 2016, and uh, uh, a new law was implemented that only the administration of presidents can give permission to see things like that. So that means that GARF uh, shall ask uh, permission uh, directly or indirectly from uh, President Putin. So uh, when uh, they said, okay, coming in, um, uh, we were not sure until the last moment that it will happen because when we came in, um, uh, the uh, archive director, uh, she said, uh, well, you have to wait now because um, I have to go to a meeting. And she left for consultations. And she actually left for consultations to the administration of the president. Uh, so when... A couple of hours later, she was back. Uh, we were allowed to study uh, the files, the six files of uh, a myth. And uh, then finally, um, about 4 p.m. or so, uh, uh, a woman, uh, an elderly woman came in um, and uh, she brought a, a box with her. And she was assisted by... Um, uh, a man who also brought another box. And when she opened that uh, that shoe box, we called it a shoe box because it looked like a shoe box, uh, we found out that there was uh, this uh, disc thing, the diskette <laughs> box <laughs> inside the box. <laughs> and there was the skull. So she opened it, and um, that was the first time I saw human remains uh, that are 70-something years old. In fact, it was the first time I ever saw human remains or pieces of human body. <laughs> so then uh, the, the man uh, opened up uh, 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 his box, and these were um, some wooden uh, pieces uh, with the... Uh, with pieces of wood uh, with, uh, you know, blood spots on it. And he said, well, this is what is left from the couch where he shot himself. And this is uh, Hitler's skull. Uh, we were allowed to touch uh, the uh, wooden, you know, the, 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 this wooden pieces. And accidentally, or, I mean, it's, it's impossible not to be touching the blood spots. Uh, we touched that, and uh, let me tell you, I had the biggest headache in my life. Uh, and the energy of this uh, was horrifying. If you want to do a, a nice horror movie, a classic one, you go to the Garf and you film this, and uh, you will get inspiration uh, to make a horror film. And uh, after we left, wait, wait. Uh, let, let we me stop you. Yeah. Let, me, let me stop you. What what do you mean by by this? It was horrifying, and you can make a horror film. What do you, what are you trying to say here? The energy, um, karma, energy, and you don't want to be part of this karma, because I mean, uh, yes, he was basically uh, a rat in the corner when he was in the bunker. 
but at the same time, uh, think about consequences he suffered to compare with all the pain he caused. So it was still, um, I don't think, it was still not enough, I guess, on my, I, I think, because, uh, I don't know, um, all the pain, um, partially the pain of, uh, of people who, as I said, suffered involuntarily, um, and the whole generation wiped out, if you think about it, it's, um, it's terrifying. I mean, I would imagine that it's, you know, because when I, when I, one of the things I was thinking of, of course, is that, you know, there's a long tradition of um, preserving the remains of, of people who are seen as, as sacral, right? So in the Catholic Church, you have, you have these relics of, of, of important priests and, and, you know, supposed martyrs and things like this. In Russia, of course, you have the, the still the, the embalming of Lenin. Um, and other societies, you have this preservation of, of people's relics. But, you know, Hitler is kind of a different story because those relics are supposed to be revered, right? When you when you see, like, I remember going to Munich and going to one of these churches and seeing the relics of some, you know, important religious figure. And it's supposed to invite, it's supposed to uh, conjure like some sort of religious veneration. But Hitler's skull is not, it's gonna, it's supposed to conjure, I mean, it's not supposed to conjure veneration unless you're a weirdo um, or a Nazi, but it's supposed to conjure disgust, right? Disgust was one of the feelings, but also a lot of pain because you can feel a lot of pain. And um, we just had to go to a church. Uh, I'm not a religious person. I am agnostic uh, in a way. And uh, Jean-Christophe as well, is uh, he has the same, you know, critical mind. So, but we passed by a church, you know what I'm saying? And, and uh, we, we, as we walked um, from the Garf, um, we were a bit down. And we couldn't, we couldn't explain why. Uh, and um, we, we decided to go to church. Just to cleanse just yourself. Just to go inside, yes, just to <laughs> cleanse. Exactly, because a shower was not enough. So we took some candles and we burned some candles and we stood just in front of the candles uh, for a few moments. And then uh, I could feel that uh, finally it's just it, this, uh, this bad stuff is leaving my body and my system and my soul. Uh, and he, he felt the same. You can't explain, you know, it's like uh, there are some mystical places when you come to a place and there, there are plenty of mystical things you cannot explain. Well, this one, uh, let me tell you, uh, it's not the, uh, I would say, Garf itself uh, is a very interesting archive. It has so many things, but at the same time, uh, spending time there is uh, takes a lot of energy. And... Uh, when you are inside, if you think about it, so one one floor has uh, the the the, uh, the skull of Hitler, right? The supposed skull of Hitler, which is not hundred confirmed percent confirmed, but uh, also there is a big probability, like 80 percent, that it is his. Number two is um, it used to have. Uh, uh, Tsar Nicholas II's uh, kids' remains, uh, Great Countess Maria and Great uh, Count Alexei. 
uh, in fact, I uh, liked uh, your um, uh, podcast recently about Rasputin because I uh, I know uh, Rasputin's great granddaughter, Laurence Yule. And uh, as you know, uh, Rasputin's only child uh, who survived, uh, her name was Maria Rasputin, and she lived. Uh, she died in the United States. She lived in the United States, and she she's buried in Los Angeles. Hmm. Did not know that. Wow. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Go well as, as I said, everything is history. In history is interconnected. We cannot take one thing and say, well, that history belongs to this country or this history belongs to that nation or this or that. We are all interconnected. We're one as a whole. Uh, we are as one as a whole. Even with the remains of Hitler, uh, don't you think that it reminds you also about some tribes when they would keep uh, a heart of the enemy or uh, his skull or a piece of his of enemy as a trophy. It also reminds you of this tribal, you know, past that we as a humanity as a humanity had in common. Yeah, that's what that's the part of the thing I find so interesting about this is that um, on the one hand, and I'd like you to talk a bit more about the reaction of you know, people in Russia who you talk to and said, hey, I'm looking into this or when you're trying to convince them to actually see and test these artifacts, uh, because, you know, it, it it is, again, a trophy, right? This is this is something that the Soviet government took in its possession and has held and and, you know, for for decades now and is a symbol. It symbolizes the victory over you know the great enemy that almost destroyed us. So talk a bit more about you know you had this personal reaction. Uh, Jean Christophe had a react this kind of weird reaction. What do what can you say about other people that you encountered and and told about this story? What was what's their reaction to this artifact? Well, mentality of uh, the mentality of people who work in these archives is quite interesting. Uh, it's uh, it's a whole subculture. We can have a totally separate podcast about it. These people store these things like their private possessions. And uh, uh, this woman, uh, the, the, the great his story about Garf, how in, uh, you know, in 1962 it received the skull of Hitler that could be lost, actually. But it was found in 1975 by a woman in the archive, in her storage floor, uh, she was appointed the new person in charge of the storage. And uh, the previous person retired, but didn't hand her all the materials. Because, you see, you have to understand the secrecy level and the fear people had to talk about such things. In 1975, the golden era of Politburo. Uh, so she started looking around, and uh, she was 36, Dina Nikolaevna Nohatovich. So uh, you can you don't have a description when you receive something uh, like an item, right? So you have all these numbers and you uh, have the just the title, the name, but no description. So uh, she decided to check what she has in in fact. Um, so she started looking and uh, in some uh, one in one of the two safes that was standing separately in the archive storage. Uh, she 
dug up from the far corner uh, a, a box and uh, you know, she uh, opened it up and she saw human remains. So she was terrified and then she starts reading the, dis the uh, description that's inside the box and it says six files of uh, uh, six files of uh, the investigation uh, myth titled myth. Um, you know, these wooden pieces uh, of the couch uh, where Hitler shot himself uh, with uh, drops of blood, with blood on it, and, uh, and a, a skull supposedly belonging to Hitler. You see, a very important word is supposedly, because back then they didn't have a DNA test. But from what I learned, um, but we, hey, uh, we cannot prove it and we didn't put it in the book. The skull was compared to the teeth. And in fact, a small part of the skull is stored in the FSB archive and they just didn't show it to us. So they, uh, between themselves, confirmed it. Um, but they don't, they don't want the world to know it too. So, you know, this wonderful woman, uh, Dina Nakhatovich, we saw her uh, in the Garf in 2016. Um, so she was the one who, you know, uh, who brought us this skull. She was this uh, gatekeeper. And um, she couldn't understand all the fascination about it. And she couldn't understand why we needed to take a test and uh, or uh, check and double check that it is his. Because she said, our job is to store things and keep them safe. And that's what I'm here for. I am going to protect it. If you don't have permission, you're not going to get anything. <laughs> Same thing was uh, with other... Um, other um, items, uh, you know, if it weren't for the uh, FSB archive having its own authority to do things, unlike, uh, you know, unlike uh, the GARF, uh, we'd be in trouble. Yeah. So how did you get access to the FSB archive? Because I only know of a handful of people, uh, particularly foreigners, who have been able to get this access. And it hasn't been for decades. It hasn't been since the 1990s. So... So how did you go about getting some access to it? Uh, actually, I still don't know why they gave it to me, but I do know that I was checked and double checked for about two years and I, they ran a background check on me. And uh, they said no at first. When I filed this request, they said no at first. And they wrote me a letter stating that there is a book uh, by Vinogradov titled The Agony and Death of Hitler. And uh, they said, read it. Um, that should be enough. There are some photos and there are some documents and that should be enough. Well, I read the book before, so I wrote them back, um, stating that I am in big O of this book, but I consider it as a big propaganda uh, piece of shit. Yeah, they must have loved that. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I, I don't have to hold myself back. You know, I have nothing to hide. And I'm, one of the things I have, uh, one of the qualities I have is I'm quite open-minded and I'm quite open. I don't hide uh, something behind or, you know, I'm just open about saying what I'm thinking in this case. So I, I, I wrote it uh, and uh, I, I also said that uh, Vinagradov maybe 
is a good uh, specialist, but uh, he is a, a colonel, an FSB colonel. I believe he was a colonel. Uh, and uh, thus uh, making it impossible for us to accept such a fact as evidence, because, as I said, he's part of the system. We are not part of the system. Uh, and um, then they called me. Uh, I left my Russian phone number, Russian cell. Uh, they called me and uh, they asked me, are you trying to do it as a Russian citizen? Mm, I said, uh, well, I do have a dual citizenship. Yes, I did keep my Russian passport, uh, but I did notify the authorities because there is a new law in Russia, again, <laughs> that if I don't notify these authorities that I have dual citizenship, that I kept my Russian passport, I can be put in prison for um, about six months or uh, I need to pay a fee. That's about 10,000 US dollars now, I believe, or it can be both. It depends, but it, it, it can be used against me. Against me, but I, I, I need to know the law uh, so I can uh, at least protect myself from little things uh, that can happen, from little trouble, especially dealing with such a serious organization as uh, FSB, because its predecessor KGB <laughs> was a very serious organization. Uh, so I, I said that, and they said, oh, well, okay, uh, uh, what are you trying to achieve here? And I said, look, we want to prove that Hitler really died, uh, but uh, we don't trust uh, your people to tell us that he did die or uh, to, um, to tell us what to do. We, we need uh, our own investigation. And then uh, the question was, are you trying to do it as an American? Uh, I said, no, 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 we're doing it as a French company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a neutral party. <laughs> a neutral, exactly. I said, I am doing it with my neutral French friends. And me having dual citizenship, I have to keep the status quo if I want to continue having this access to the archives. Because it's some archives allow foreigners and some archives simply don't. <laughs> I want to have the sexes for as long as I can. Huh. So they so they okayed it eventually. They eventually yes, they eventually okayed it. Uh, and also they I don't know what kind of background search they did on uh, Jean Christophe, but also well we gave our passports, uh, we we were checked. Uh, I mean we gave our passport information. So both of my passports, US passport and Russian passport, they were checked. Um, and Jean Christophe's passport as well. So, and then Philippe Charrier. So, yes, um, it was a process uh, that involved. Uh, in fact, I know who uh, helped us to get access. Uh, there was this man named Alexander, and he was from the Ministry of International Affairs. Because FSB uh, would never give access to anyone, and they don't care about public relations or international stuff. They don't care. No, no. But taking or giving you access is taking risk. Why would they do yeah. that, right? But Minister of International Affairs can make a suggestion, and we obviously had our press passes, accreditation with the Minister of International Affairs. Uh, 
which uh, served as a liaison uh, between these two. Uh, and uh, we, uh, thanks to them, uh, we, we received this access. So anyone who wants to try to repeat this, I would strongly suggest writing to the Minister of International Affairs site as well. I mean, it's available. Information uh, is available. Um, and, and finally, you know, what is this this investigation that you've worked on for for you know well over a decade now? Um, say to you about the the memory of World War II, and 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 Russia more generally. What does this symbolize for you? Well, uh, for me, it's uh, everything I do. As I said, um, I have this slogan in life: making peace with history, one cold case at a time. And um, well, history in my case uh, is uh, uh, U.S.-Russia relations, uh, U.S.-Soviet uh, Union, um, and um, I see a lot of similarity between Russian people and American people. Uh, same mentality and qualities, but we somehow uh, don't know about it. Uh, so uh, also. I want people uh, who, some of them know their family history, some of they don't, uh, some of them don't. Uh, I, I want uh, I want people to be able to read this and make peace with themselves because uh, uh, history now, as uh, my history teacher at school used to say, is the biggest prostitute of all times. We rewrite history as soon as a new person uh, comes into office. And uh, history is nothing but facts and memories and how it affected people all over the world. Like the Cloud Atlas, you know, uh, or uh, by Wachowski sisters, <laughs> or, or uh, something like this. Um, uh, we, have to, uh, we have to be more patient, uh, more, I don't like tolerance. I like the word, uh, the word acceptance. I hate the word tolerance. Let me tell you, uh, uh, you can, you can say I'm a politically incorrect person, but tolerance is a medical term for your body, for your immune system failing to accept a foreign body. So when people talk about tolerance, uh, it's it's a bad word for uh, for uh, um, you know a refugee situation, current refugee situation, uh, or social situation, and injustice uh, that's uh, happening. Um, I prefer the word acceptance. Acceptance and history also helps people. Uh, to um, and uh, an investigation like ours uh, and uh, future investigations, they should help people develop their own opinion. They should help people develop their own critical mind and think. For example, if someone shows them uh, something or uh, tells them something, whether it's news or coverage uh, or um, a, a story, they need to ask questions. Uh, so if, if uh, we achieve this goal and people who read this book or see a movie, a documentary, um, 
uh, they uh, but the book all obviously has all the details and it has more information and it has the story behind it so uh, and it teaches people to uh, develop this critical thinking and ask questions uh, it will help in present life as well that was lana parshina a journalist and award-winning documentary filmmaker. She's the director of Svetlana About Svetlana, a documentary about Joseph Stalin's daughter, and The Singer Who Fell. She's the author with Jean-Christophe Brissard of The Death of Hitler, The Final Word, published by DeCapo Press. I'm your host, Sean Guillory, and this is the SRB Podcast. The SRB Podcast is sponsored by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Pittsburgh, and listeners like you. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help support it, please take a moment to share it on Facebook and Twitter, like my Facebook page, Sean's Russia Blog, write a review, or recommend the show to your friends. The SRB podcast comes cheap, but it is not free to make. You can help support it by joining the table of ranks at srbpodcast.org. Thanks to all my high excellencies, high wellborns, and noblenesses for your continued patronage. You can find past shows on iTunes and SoundCloud, or you can download them directly from srbpodcast.org as well. Until next time, bye. We're told that after the war, the Nazis vanished without a trace. But the Italians, the fascists, still dream of a master race. The history books, they tell of their defeat in 45. But they all came out of the woodwork on the day the Nazi died. They say the prisoner of Spandau was a symbol of defeat. Whilst Hess remained in prison, then the fascists, they were beat. So the promise of an Aryan world would never materialize. So why did they all come out of the woodwork on the day the Nazi died? The world is riddled with maggots. The maggots are getting fat. They're making a tasty meal of all the bosses and bureaucrats. They're taking over the boardrooms and they're fat and full of pride. And they all came out of the woodwork on the day the Nazi died. So if you meet with these historians, I'll tell you what to say. Tell them that the Nazis never really went away. They're out there burning houses down and peddling racist lies. And we'll never rest again until then.